Well, what a joy and a delight it is to be with you today. And uh, I want to get a couple things out of the way real fast. First of all, I have a mountain brogue. So uh, uh, years ago when I went to school at Southern Wesson, which then was, uh, uh, which is now uh, 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 Southern Wesson now and Central Wesson then, and I got in my English class my freshman year, and I had an English teacher by the name of Mrs. Jubal. Anybody remember her? Brother Thomas, some of you will, some of you that are older may, but um, I, I used the word Ewins, and uh, I thought she was going to come up out of her seat, and she said, Mr. Ray, I need to tell you, there's no word like Ewins in the dictionary. I said, yeah, but where I come from, there's a lot of Ewins. And uh, then she said, well, I'm going to tell you this. She said, before you leave this English class, you will not say Ewins. You want to take a bet this morning? I left that English class and I'm still saying Ewins. When I graduated, she came up to me and she said, I've accomplished a lot in my life. But Mr. Reverend Ray, she says, I never could get that out of you, could you? Other words such as uh, sup. You say what? Sip. I want a sip of water. We say in the mountains, I want a sip of water. Another word that we use is... Uh, Tires. You say tires, we say tars. You know, that's just the way it is in the mountain road where we came from. So uh, you may get a little bit of that today, but please understand that I, that's just part of me. It's just part of the old mountain brogue that I've lived with for the last 67 years. And um, I don't apologize for it. Uh, my wife just says, it's just part of your life. And I guess it is. I want to also just say, isn't it wonderful to have such a wonderful parsonage family as Mike and his family? I don't know. I, 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 I'm telling you. I don't know how many times that you tell him that and, and the whole family, kids, wife, everybody. But I tell you, we're very blessed. I know I am in my last years of life to be in such a wonderful church with such a wonderful pastor. Uh, he has knowledge beyond his years. I, I know that. I've listened to him. I hear what he has to say, and he has a compassion for, for the lost and for God and for you as his people, as his flock. But I want to tell you, every time I've ever done a sermon, I do a couple of little light things, and I want to dedicate this to Pastor Mike this morning. There was three boys that were in church one Sunday, and they were bragging about which daddy made the most money. And one little boy says, well, my daddy puts a poem on a piece of paper and he said he makes $300. Another little boy said, ah, oh, that ain't nothing. He said, my daddy writes a song, puts it on a piece of paper and makes $500. <laughs> the third little boy said, oh, that ain't nothing. He said, my dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper and calls it a sermon and he gets $1,000. So Pastor Mike... Uh, you do a great job, and we appreciate that so much. The other one this morning I want to do is to Art and Beth Swain. Uh, I've known those people all my life, almost, it seems like. Go back many, many years to Hepsibob Children's Home when we used to go every, every Christmas and stay a week with them and work and do all kinds, take Christmas gifts from our church for the kids. And, but uh, recently Beth took Art to uh, the doctor. After the doctor had examined Art, uh, he sort of pulled Beth over to the side and he said, Beth, he said, I don't like how Art looks. And she said, well, I don't either. But he's a good father to my kids and a good husband to me. Art, I love you today. God bless you for what you do. Now we're going to talk this morning about the end of time. I'm not bragging me, but I tried to recently calculate, and I think it's around 1,200 hours that I've spent studying the Bible on the end of time. It's my favorite subject. I didn't have any real favorite subjects when I was growing up because the Bible wasn't read to me. I was brought up in an alcoholic home where my mother and father both drank heavily. And uh, let me just say this. We need to be praying for the Western Church. We need to be praying for the Western Church. We are now facing in all of our district conferences an issue about alcoholism. There's no such thing as social drinking. Don't ever think there is. Sooner or later, you will become a slave to alcoholism. I've seen it happen in my mother and father's life. 
as they started out social drinking in the Democrat Party in Haywood County. And eventually my mom and dad became alcoholics. And so we need to pray for our districts. I don't know what it holds in the future, but I do know one thing. The church religion is in attack and on attack by Satan and the world. And we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and we need to stand up. We need to stand up and be counted. The Bible says for evil to rue is for what? Righteousness to do nothing. And it's our responsibility. It is our responsibility as God's people. But I'm going to talk to you this morning about the days of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me fill you on just a little bit of background. Noah lived in a wicked time. As the Lord had created Adam and Eve and knew Adam and Eve had sinned and then after they had sinned, uh, the Lord pronounced upon them a judgment of that they would from that day on carry sin within their heart. Man would work for the toil of the labor and the woman would have uh, terrible, terrible times with childbirth. So Adam and Eve had sinned. The world begins to follow in Adam and Eve's footsteps and and it goes on for generation and generation and generation and generation. In the book of Genesis, it begins, and then it comes to Noah. Noah's about 500 years old when, the, when Noah's family is born. I don't know how many years past that has been. No one knows from the beginning of time. We can guess, we can speculate, we can do all kinds of things. But the Lord realizes that the days of Noah are terrible days. There is ungodliness, wickedness, all these kind of things that are going on, immorality, homosexuality, you name it, it's there. And so God speaks to Noah. And he says, Noah, it's got to change. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go start preaching the gospel. Can you imagine a five to 600-year-old man telling the world that they have sinned? Probably they said he's some kind of old spiritual kook. Man, what does he know about it? And then on top of that, he comes and says, listen, it's going to rain. It's going to start raining. And the Lord said it's going to rain for how many days? 40 days and 40 nights. The people have never seen rain. They've never seen anything quite like that. Matter of fact, they've never even seen dew fall on the ground. We wake up in the fall of the morning and that beautiful dew that's on the ground, wetting. So Noah preaches. I don't know how many years he preaches to the people. But now he becomes 600 years old. 600 years old. From 500, his family, he has three sons and a wife. He lived the right kind of marriage. And so the Lord says to Noah, I want you to build an ark. He tells him how to do it, everything. And he said, I want you to put your family in the ark, and I'm going to save your family from the terrible flood. So Noah preaches, he builds his ark, he warns the people that God's wrath is coming upon them, they need to repent of their sins, they need to turn from their wicked ways. And God will heal their prayer and God will touch them and maybe even God will touch their land. But they don't listen. So the flood, the rains become. 40 days and 40 nights it rains. Waters over the face of the earth. Now I want you to notice one thing this morning, people. If you can show me any words in the Bible, that there were more than eight people that were saved from that flood. I want to read about it. Eight people. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands or millions of people that were on the earth. But you seem to think that if God had saved a great number of those, he would have let it be known. Don't you think, Pastor Mike? Yeah. Eight people. What does that say to us in a world today? That here's a world with mass people from creation up until the days of Noah. And now all of a sudden God is going to just smite the world. He's going to, he's going to destroy humanity as he had created it. And only eight people are going to survive. 
It tells me that God is a God of his word, isn't he? He said, you shall not sin. Sin is not tolerated by God. The wages of sin is death. But I'm glad he's got in there some words beyond that scripture that says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Then we moved to Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know how many years it had been after the flood and the water had descended and, and now 70% of the world is covered by water and I don't know how long it had been and now Adam comes along and Lot comes along and, and they decide it's time they separate and so they're standing at the plain and, and they decide which way they're going to go and what they're going to do and the Bible says Lot and his family cast their tent toward Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know how many people's living on the earth during that period of time. No one knows. We can take theological guesses or whatever, but no one knows. So the Bible says now we've got another wicked city named Sodom and Gomorrah, and the world is just like that. And God looked down at Sodom and Gomorrah, and he saw the homosexuality, he saw the sins, he saw the pervertness, he saw a people that were on intent on living their own lives and doing their own thing despite the laws of God. So God says, I'm going to wipe Sodom and Gomorrah off the face of the earth. Abraham says, if I can find so many people, will you not, will you spare them? And it starts out with so many and it comes on down to, to nearly nothing. But the tragedy is, he cannot find anyone that's living in Sodom and Gomorrah beside Lot's family. What does the Lord do? He tells Sodom and Gomorrah to get out. The angels come and tell him to get out. Take his family, his brother-in-law, his daughters, his wife. He said, after you take those, you need to, to, to get out. Don't look back. Don't turn around. Because if you do, you're going to suffer, suffer a greatly disheartening consequences. So Lot heads out. As they're heading out and they begin the journey, his wife looks back. And you know the story. She has turned into a pillar of salt. She's lost forever. Again, the Bible does not indicate to us that there was anyone in this great wicked city that survived beyond Lot and his family. What does that say to you and I? It again says that God means business, doesn't it? God is not going to tolerate sin. He's not going to tolerate homosexuality. He's not going to tolerate prostitution. He's not going to tolerate godliness. Godlessness. He's not going to tolerate a deterioration of his scripture and a changing of his word. And people can live any way they want to live in the world today. He's not going to tolerate that. In 1985, I visited Israel. Spent 14 days there in Egypt. I walked to where Sodom and Gomorrah is. And what's the most fascinating thing about Sodom and Gomorrah now that, that they had found it? It's like the Lord went to the north, south, east, and west corners of this great wicked city. And God drove a stake in each one of those places. And he wiped it off the face of the earth. If you go there today, there's not even one blade of grass that will grow on the land. Not one blade. They have tried again and again to cultivate the land and to make something productive out of it. It won't work. When God says, I'll wipe it off the face of the earth, God meant it, didn't he? He don't change. He don't change. And so now we come to a time that the Lord says, I'm coming again. We've lived all of these generations. We've seen the birth of our Savior come. Crucifixion take place. He has rose from the dead. He now sits at the right hand of God the Father. And he says, one day I'm coming again. The next event on the calendar of God is probably the rapture from all in Canaan. 
And all that we can study and understand is that somehow the Lord is going to come in the eastern sky and he's going to take those that are dead in Christ and those that are living in Christ to be with him. And we're going to go and eat of the marriage supper of the Lamb and there we're going to prepare for his second return to the earth which will be at the end of the great tribulation period. And the Bible says the Lord will come back and establish his earthly kingdom and he will rule and reign for a thousand years. And there will be peace on the earth for the first time in the history of the world since Adam and Eve sinned against God. Isn't that amazing? But God again is a God of his word. If you don't believe that this morning, I feel for you because let me tell you something. There is nothing in the Bible that is not the inspired infallible word of God. Nothing. So let's get started this morning. Scripture. Coming up, are we getting, we getting Scripture this morning? Okay. I'm going to read to you from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 5 and 7. Then I'm going to read to you Jeremiah, verses 3 through 7, and Matthew 24, 3. It's a little lengthy this morning, and I will do my best to hurry. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah, or you can watch it on the screen. Okay, do not be afraid. All right, I, do not fear. I, I, I may be in the New American Standard Bible with you this morning, and that may be my part. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offsprings from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, gather them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory and honor whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 3 through 7. Then myself shall gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them, and shall bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. And I shall also rise up shepherds over them, and I will make them tend them, and they will not be afraid any longer. They will not be terrified, nor any will be missing, declares the Lord God. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up the David a righteous branch, and he will reign as kings and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteous. Therefore, behold, the days will come, declare the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the north land and from the countries where I had driven them. And they will live in their own soul. And then Matthew chapter 24, 3. And as he was sitting at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these days or these things be? And what will be the sign of your great coming? The end of the age. The end of the age. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like it was in the days of Noah. In the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. I've asked them to put up two dates on the screen if they possibly can. The first one is May the 24th, 1948. Anybody know what this date is? I can't hear you. That's right. The reestablishment of the state of Israel. There are two keys to the return of Christ. There's probably 35 to 40 signs in the Bible. Maybe sometime Pastor Mike and I can get together and do a little Bible study on the end of time. There are between 35 and 40 signs of the end of time, such things as vegetarianism. <laughs> For the end of time. Oh, yeah. All kinds of things, earthquakes, we know some of them. There's some of them that were in the days of Noah that are very prevalent, but they're all spiritual in the days of Noah, believe it or not. But there are many things that the Lord said that is going to bring us to his return, to take it out of his earthly church, to take his children home, to live with him forevermore and forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. How long is forever? 
Billy Graham said if you go to the beach and draw a 10-foot circle and you sit in the middle of it in the sand and you pick up one blade of sand and, and move it to your right and you do that for the rest of eternity, you will never get out of that circle. Ooh. Says a lot, doesn't it? Eternity. Eternity. It's not, it's not a thousand years like the millennial. It's not 10,000 years. It's not 2,000 years. It's not 100,000 years. It's eternal. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. And my mind can't comprehend that. Because God is eternal. He's everlasting. But here's the secret. Of the two things, the one thing that had to occur before Jesus could even consider coming back after as bad as it was in the days of Noah, it would be that way again that the Lord said the children of Israel have to go back home. So there's the reestablishment of the statehood of Israel. Listen to these statistics. In 1948, there were 47,000 Jews that lived in Israel. 47,000 Jews. Today, they are 7 to 8 million Jews living in Israel. Whoa. I visited Israel in the mid-80s. At that time, there was a little over a million Jews in Israel. From 1980 to now, it's 26 years. 26, 36. 26, I got it right? 80, 9, 36. Yeah, we get it. That's not the Mount Brogue there. 36 years. We have gone from a million people in Israel to now six or seven million people have gone back to the homeland. Can I read to you just something real fast? Listen to this. From the east, many Jews living in the Middle East countries moved to Israel during the 19, or moving to Israel in the 1900s. After Israel reclaimed independence in 1948, more Jews moved to their ancient homeland after being forced out in various Arab countries in which they had been living for thousands of years. In the West, during the mid-1900s, hundreds of thousands of Jews living in the West, Europe, and the United States began moving back to Israel to escape various persecutions, most notably the Holocaust of Nazi Germany. Whoa. In the North, hundreds of thousands of Jews living in the former Soviet Union have now moved to Israel since the 1900s. During the in the way, in the south, during the eighties and the nineties, Israel struck a deal with the Ethiopian communistic government to allow Jews in Ethiopia to move back to Israel. On the weekend of May the twenty fifth, nineteen hundred ninety one, for example, one hundred forty four thousand one hundred forty four thousand five hundred Ethiopian Jews were airlifted out of Ethiopia back into Israel. Isaiah's prophecy also corrected was correct by saying that in the north Russia and in the south Ethiopia would have to be persuaded to allow the Jews to move back to Israel. Now they are on the move. Russia is letting the Jews out of Russia. They're on the move. They're going back home. They're going back to their promised land. They're moving back. They're headed home. Is Isaiah's prophecy also corrected and was correct in saying that the Jews would turn from the utter ends of the earth? And Isaiah said that many centuries before the Jews had been scattered to the ends of the earth, it would be a day when that would reverse and they would change and go home. So they tell us between seven and eight million Jews are in Israel today. Of the remaining 12, 12 million Jews, 12 million Jews that are known on the face of the earth, 80% of them live in America. The Jews are going to be persecuted. Obama is trying to get the word that we no longer have an allegiance with Israel, isn't he? People, when we quit supporting Israel and we quit caring for Israel, the Jews will be greatly persecuted in this world. They're headed back home. They're headed back home. Every day, hundreds of Jews are returning to their promised land. Now let's look at the second most important day. 
Coming up on the board will be June the 23rd, 2015. Someone tell me what this date is. This is probably as much of importance as any date in the history of humanity. June the 23rd, 2015, the Supreme Court gathered to settle for once and for all the right of one man and one woman in marriage. In a five to four decision, the Supreme Court ruled that gay marriage is a constitutional right in America. If you go back to Noah, you go back to Sodom and Gomorrah, the underlying factor in those countries in that time, in every period of time, is that the Lord said that homosexuality is an abomination to God. If you was to be here this morning and you claim to be a lesbian or a gay or a bisexual or whatever, you're in a heap of trouble. You're in a whole heap of trouble. It's not that God doesn't love you and doesn't care about you if that be the circumstances, but God says that sin will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So in a 5-4 decision, the Supreme Court ruled that gay marriage is a constitutional right in America. The greatest nation in all of the world has now stated what Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah believed in. Just recently, Mexico followed right pursuit after the United States, did they not? The president of Mexico declared to his government, we need to, to, need to, to make our country the gay marriage is a constitutional right. Constitutional right. This ruling means that all 50 states must allow it and all existing bans are extinct. Once the Supreme Court is ruled on it, can you go back and change it? No. It's final. The homosexual movement is alive and well in our world today, people. Now, let's get, I've got to hurry. Let's get to the sermon this morning. What were the signs of the days in Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah? The first one is there was godliness in those days. 2 Timothy chapter 5, or chapter 3, verses 1, 5, and 7. But realize this, that in the last eight difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, reviver, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unreconciled, malice, gospers, without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, restless, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Always learning and never able to come to the truth of God. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.3 Let no one in any way deceive you. For it will not come unless the apostles comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction. Let's talk for a moment about homosexuality. You know, I've struggled over this quite a bit. I was going to preach two other messages. One was about why did God call the rich farmer a fool? And the other one was what took place in Atlanta just a few weeks ago. And I kept coming back to this and the Lord said, this is it. And then finally I said, well, I guess it is. And he said, you dummy, it was that but to begin with. Why did you keep coming back? Homosexuality. Let me give you just a few statistics on homosexuality. There are 8 million adults claiming homosexuality in our world today. One out of every 100 women are homosexual. One out of every two men are homosexual. 4% of all adults are bisexual. Can you remember, I'm 67 years ago, about the same age of Don. He's just a little bit older than me, which he looks a whole lot older than me, but uh, just a little bit older than me. But Brother Don and some of you that are our age will remember when you were growing up in high school, if you were a homosexual, it would stay in the closet, didn't it? Huh? Oh, yeah. 
I don't even hardly ever remember that word. Did you, Don? I mean, I, 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 if you were a gay, you were in a whole lot of trouble in our school because nobody liked, would like you. But people, we live in a world that is now vastly changing. And those two dates were the beginning of the end. Without those two dates, God could not return. Those have been completed. And now it's only a formality that the things begin to work as God will work them. And, and God has a perfect plan. <laughs> I learned a long time ago, I've got all kinds of plans. But I can tell you this morning, my plans don't go along with God's plans. I wanted to be a football player. I want. I was like, I'll play baseball or whatever you want to do. But I want to tell you, one morning in a little western church in Clyde, North Carolina, God changed my plans. He turned my apple cart upside down. He said, "You ain't doing that." And I fought it, and I argued, and I did everything I could humanly do to change it. But God had a plan for my life. God has a plan for you, teenagers. And it's a perfect plan. And if you just let him be the heart and soul of your life, you will never go wrong. He has a plan for every one of you in this room. I don't care whether you're 65, 70, or 20, or 30. He has a perfect plan for every one of us. He has a perfect plan for this universe. It began with Adam and Eve living with God in the communion of fellowship. Every evening the Bible says the Lord came in the cool of the evening and he fellowshiped with Adam and Eve. Wouldn't that be wonderful? To live in the Garden of Eden and never have to work. I worked till 9 o'clock last night putting drain lines around one of my sons, his home. I told him of all days to want to put 13, 14 hours in and preach. He said, Dad, you ain't got no problem with that. He said, you got more energy than any man I've ever known. But people, let me tell you something. It's real. But homosexuality had to become a very prevalent part of the end of time. Secondly is abortions. There have been 60, uh, 56 million American babies that have been murdered in the United States since Roe versus Wade in 1973. We don't hear about that anymore, do we? You know, when I was pastoring, I remember in the 80s and uh, mid-80s, uh, there were all kinds of films about the end of time, A Thief in the Night, Don, you may remember some. You know, I mean, I've got them all. I've got every one of them. I've got Hal Lindsey's books. I've got, man, when, it, when you talk about the end of time, I want to know all there is. And the simple thing is, I don't really need to know all there is. All I need to know is I better be ready when the Lord comes. <laughs> That's the bottom line. You can read all the books. You can study all the history. You can do it all. But if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life and the Lord returns tomorrow, you're in a heap of trouble. Matter of fact, you're in a hole that you can't get out of. And the only one that can get you out of it is the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few more statistics. Over one million abortions of babies in the U.S. take place every year. Oh, my. A million little ones are dying at the hands of of the wickedness every year. There are 3,000 lives that were lost at 9-11. That was horrible, wasn't it? But let me tell you something, more than 3,000 lives of little babies are murdered every day in America. We don't hear nothing about that, do we? There ain't no memorial that's been set aside for those little ones, have we? Oh, we just sweep it under the rugs and we spend billions on parenthood. What is it? Uh, what's the name of that organization? Yeah, Planned Parenthood. Years ago, the first president of Parent Parenthood wrote a book and said, the reason we have it is abortions, it's going to make America clean. <laughs> God help us. No, you know what it's going to do? It's going to make the wrath of God be poured out on this world. 
like we've never seen it. Read the tribulation. The first three and a half years and then the last three and a half great tribulation. Oh, I don't want to be here, people. I want to get out of here. And a little daughter-in-law, I mean a little granddaughter years ago where was a funeral home of her grandmother and Blanche and I was taking care of us. And Josh's oldest little girl named Abby and she looked at me and her, her grandmother and she says, me, mom, papa, we got to get out of here. Well, people, we got to get out of here. We don't want to go through all those things. We don't want to go through those things. One third of all American women will have an abortion by the age of 45. One third of every woman on the face of the earth will have an abortion by the age of 45. I know of people that's had two, three, four, and five abortions. Do you know anyone? I was in chapel years ago with a girl that was having an abortion. We tried to talk her out and she was raped. But her family felt it was the only way out. And down the hall there was a lady screaming and wailing. And man, I, I, I just knew they were killing her. But I knew what was happening. She was having an abortion. Saline abortion, whatever it was. I asked the nurse, I said, there's nothing you can do for her? I said, man, that's awful. That's like you're cutting her legs off or something with no, no anesthesiologist around. <laughs> What's going on down there? She's, she's rattling the windows. She says, preacher, don't, don't, don't get too upset. That is what I'm going to say to you. She said, this is that girl's 10th abortion. So we sort of have come to just minimize our feelings. My son and his wife, our middle son, has a little boy they've been keeping in a foster parent. They just lost him the other day, but he has a mother that's had six children out of wedlock, wedlock and she's pregnant again. God help us. God help us. We don't hear about it no more. We just sort of settle. You know, the Lord said in the last days that we'll only want to have our ears tickled. And, you know, and there's not going to be no tugging at the heart. The Lord ain't going to do that. Oh, yes, the Lord is, but the problem is we ain't going to listen. And we ain't going to let him. And we're going to say, Lord, just take your hands off of me. Let me do what I want to do. I, I'm tired. You remember Cain? The Bible says in Genesis, Cain didn't want to be in the presence of God. God, I don't want no part of you. We live in a world today that wants no part of God. Law after law is being stricken down and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And people, I don't want to be a pessimist, but we are living in the days of Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah again. Protestant women get 42% of all abortions. I was shocked. Protestant women get 42% of all abortions. Catholic women get 27% of all abortions. Woo. These make up the body of Christ, don't they? Huh? 42% and 27%. Somehow we're not adhering to the gospel. We're not paying any attention to what God has said since the beginning of time. Adam and Eve, you can have anything in the garden, but you are forbidden to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For surely when you do, you will get a reward. That ain't what it says, is it? That ain't it. For surely you will die. And you will die without God. You'll go to a place called hell. Here's a, a startling, startling statistic. There is twice as much in the Bible that Jesus and God through the inspired word of God talks about hell compared to heaven. Whoa. Why would God spend more time on hell than he does heaven? And heaven's going to be the greatest place. Oh, streets of gold and pillars of pearl? We're going to live there forever and there's going to be no cancer, no more pain, no more this. No. Man, heaven sounds like a, a wonderful paradise, doesn't it? But God, through His Son, through the Bible, talked more about hell than He did 
about heaven. I gotta move on. We gotta go. Prostitution. Let's get with it real fast. The sex trade is uh, sex trade is alive and well in America. Atlanta's sex trade in the word is worth a whopping two hundred and ninety million dollars. Atlanta was number one in the sex trade last year in America. Two hundred ninety million dollars. Coming in second was the city of Denver. It had a, I mean Miami, with a $235 million sex trade. In Atlanta, a pimp makes an average of $32,533 per week. Not a month. My, it would, that would be something if it was a month. I wish I made $32,000 a month. Don't you, Pastor Mike? He needs a race, people. Let's get on the ball. Amen. Amen. $32,000 in a week as a pimp. And what a pimp is, somebody that looks after the elite, the ladies and the men that do the actual sin. In Denver, a pimp makes an average of $31,000 a week. I just found this, and this is not in the notes, so it's not coming on here. I mean, it's not going. Listen to this. On average, a call girl or a Bravo out in Nevada makes an average of $200 for 40 minutes of work. Whoa, $200. I'm going to my son tomorrow. I'm going to get a raise one way or the other. $200 for 40 minutes of work. $300 for one hour. $500 for two hours. And a whopping $2,000 if they spend the night with you. Oh! My wife told me when I was doing this, she says, boy, when you come to bed tonight, I'm going to make some money. $2,000. I bought her a new dress. So uh, that's all I can afford. But I do love her. Secondly, divorce and breaking down of the Christian home in the days of Noah. Every 10 to 13 seconds, someone gets a divorce in America. Whoa. Every 10 to 13 seconds, the marriage home is broke down. For every marriage, there is now a divorce in America for the first time. And it's dropped 2%. It was at 52, and it's at 50 right now. But that means one-on-one. For every marriage, there's a divorce. For every divorce, there's a marriage. There is a great disrespect for parents in our world today. Would you not agree? Have you read any words in the newspaper or seen it on television, Fox News or whatever, of the kids that killed or murdered their parents? Huh? How about the, the kids that have sued their parents? Well, my kids can murder me, but they can't sue me because I don't have anything. So they, 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 they know that one's out. I'm going to get a bumper sticker said, my wife and I are spending our children's inheritance. I love that one. My kids are good to me. Number three, saturation of the gospel. Matthew 24, 14 says, and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world for a witness of all nations and then the Lord will come or the end will come. Mark 13.10 says in the gospel, first, first be preached to all nations. Here's the kicker. We're now living in that time. We are now approaching those days. They are coming. They are here. Let me give you just a, Noah, 50, 75 years he preached to the nation, whatever it was. 500, his kids were grown. 600, he entered the ark. Somewhere in there, he was an old white-bearded preacher that went around all over the country talking about the repentance of the soul and the wrath of God. And I believe, and I have no way of knowing until I get to heaven, but I believe with all my heart that everyone that lived in Noah's day had heard about Jesus Christ and God Almighty and the Holy Spirit. To what degree, I don't know. Because I don't think that it is God's will for any to perish, is it? That's what the Bible says. So Noah preached. He touched all facets of humanity. 
And when God saw there was no repentance and the forgiveness of sin had not been dealt, God said the floods, the rains will come and the floods will rise. And everybody on the face of the earth died. Sodom and Gomorrah was the same way. I believe, I believe that God did everything he possibly could do to get the people at Sodom and Gomorrah to understand that God was a God of his word. The wages of sin is spiritual death. There's hope called heaven, but you've got to make changes. You can't keep living in sin. You can't, you know, we live in a world today that you can live in sin and do all that you want to and somehow, somehow, you're going to get to heaven. 20% of people in America only go to church now. 87% of people in America believe there's a heaven. 48% believe there's a hell. Are we living like there's a heaven? Are we living like there's a hell? You answer that question. Today, all nations have been penetrated. Not completely, but they've been penetrated. Missionaries, television, radio, the internet, people all over the world are now hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that we never, never have. They tell us within the next two, four, next two to four years, all of the language groups will be reached in the world. Next two to four years. Oh. So we're moving. And the sad thing is it's going to start to accelerate because the greater the sins become in America, the greater the acceleration of the Lord's return will occur. The Lord has held off. Matter of fact, as we get to study, and if we study at the end of time, we're now living within that 100-year period that the Lord talked about the victory, the dispensation that's going on. We are now at 70 years. Matter of fact, a lot of people that studied the end of time have said the end of time should have occurred about 2012. It's not there yet. I don't know where it will go the full 100 years and then what will occur. I don't know. I don't know. The Lord can accelerate it to tomorrow with homosexuality being what it is and what we're going to see that's going to, the filth that's going to occur in this world. There's no telling what will happen. Number four, growth of knowledge in the days of Noah. If you go back and read the book of Genesis, you'll find that they became city dwellers. They'd lived in tents and nomads in the, in the open country for years and now they've become city dwellers. Let me ask you one thing. What makes it different than the country and the city? Sin is an alarming growth rate in the cities. Atlanta, all your major, major metropolitan areas in the world today, sin began to just expand and grow at a rapid rate in the days of Noah when they began to build cities. You will see in the days of Noah that not only were they city builders, but there was great agricultural advancement. Go get your encyclopedia and look up the word agriculture. Whoo! See where we have come from the old metal horseman. I was at in uh, Pennsylvania, just uh, in Amish country, just a couple weeks ago, and there the Amish, you know, eight eight team horse, uh, horses or mules, or they use both of them. There he's still uh, turning the land with the old two-turn plow. But there's not many of them left, are they? Now, we've got these modern, you know, years ago, the farmer went to, to Washington, D.C. To, to try to get some encouragement with the relief of the farm. And the sad thing was, and I thought it was hilarious, they went up there with all these modern John Deere tractors with air-conditioned cabs and all this. If they'd went up there and old run-down Ford tractors and all this, they might have got a whole lot more help than they did. But people, we can now cultivate, cultivate land at an alarming rate in the world. They were doing it in the days of Noah. They had become great people of metals. They had become to fashion things and do things in a way that had never been done. Look at our world today. What can we mold and make in the metal industry? Look at the industry, industry as a whole. 
I know we're losing jobs everywhere, this and that. But as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of man. And then finally, there was the travel. They had found other means to travel during the days of Noah. They had, for years they had walked. Now they realized they could ride horses. Now they, they built chariots and they did this and it continued on in the Old Testament. And, and there, was, there was great new ways to find to travel. We live in a world today that up until 150 years ago, the only means of travel was horseback, was it not? Today, or just recently, over the course of our lifetime, man has traveled at 2,500,000 miles an hour going to the moon. Whew, that's a big difference, isn't it? With computers and the internet, they tell us information and knowledge is doubling every year. I'm not a computer whiz by any means. But I've heard people say, that every year or so you better get an upgrade or you better do this or you better do that or you're going to be lost. You remember when the computer first came out? You could keep it for several years. Now you're encouraged, you better, you know, uh, uh, they've got this, they've got that. They, I, I don't know, I just, I just tell Miss Ray to do it and she, she, she knows how to do it. But I do know one thing I've been told. The immorals on the internet are unbelievable. Pastor Mike has talked about that a little bit, being, being addicted to pornography and, you know, all this. Oh, my, my. It's hard to believe, hard to believe. But listen to this last statistic. And this is the one that's going to blow you away. And we're only four years away from it. And we're only 36 years away from that 100-year illustration of the victory. By the year 2020, information and knowledge will double ever 73 days. What does that say? That said the Lord is coming, isn't he? I love this life. There's nobody that loves living more than I do. My, I enjoy life. I thank God every day for my life. I thank God every day for my family. I get up in the morning, and, and, and there's a, it's not as high a step as it used to be, but there's still, there's still a bounce in my step. I love living. I love to go camping. I love to do things. I, I love to see the world. I love to see what God has created and God has made. Someone said the other day, doing? I said, I'm doing great. If I was doing any better, I'd be in heaven. People, I mean that. I, I love life. But I want to tell you something. I, I've got to say this in closing this morning. There's nothing in this world worth you losing your soul over. Nothing. Not women. Not your way of life. Not prostitution. Not homosexuality. Not thievery, not drugs, there's nothing.